Hey, what's up there, Surf Splendor podcast listeners? This is your host, David Scales, back with you for another episode. And you're probably wondering, uh, it's late in the week. Why is there a new episode being released right now? And uh, there's two reasons, actually. Number one, Scott Bass uh, reached out with, of course, one day's notice and said that he wanted to record because he had been out of town for a few weeks and then I had been out of town, so we had uh, not been able to link up. But secondly, I just realized after the fact that we just passed our one-year anniversary of Surf Splendor. So I thought this would be a great opportunity to do kind of a bonus episode in celebration of that. And uh, one year is not really significant in the grand scheme of things when you reflect back on life. But at the same time, I feel like it's worth uh, just stopping, pausing, and kind of reflecting for a moment. Uh, One year, it feels like a tremendous amount of work that was completed in that one year. But at the same time, when I look at what we've done, it is a drop in the bucket of really what I would like to do. And um, the guests that we've interviewed, I'm really proud of and I have a lot of reverence for. And I learned a lot in the past year from those people, a lot about surfing that I didn't know, but also just insight into, I don't know, life. And, And, but that being said, I mean, I still haven't gotten through, you know, 99% of the surf industry and personalities that I would like to just meet, much less interview and share with the world. So uh, I'm proud of what we've done. But of course, there's still kind of an endless supply of content to create and people to meet and interview. So I'm excited. I'm excited. I feel like we've built a a pretty strong foundation for the show and it still shows kind of a lot of the potential to come. So I'm really, I think, I think we're in a good position and I'm excited to finish one year, feel good about it. And I really feel good about moving forward. I've had some conversations with some new people that, um, might be able to help this show grow in the next year and beyond. So more to come on that later, but, um, one thing that I think is really important for me to kind of point out at this juncture is the significance of you, the listener. A lot of these shows in the past year, we were influenced and really, I mean, kind of crafted by listeners. And so the best way to help grow the show or just to give feedback and and craft the style of the show is just to email me, hello at surfsplendorpodcast.com. Um, also comments on Facebook. I read comments on the website we read. So send your feedback. Some of it has been negative feedback and that's okay too. You know, that's made me kind of adjust certain things that, um, certain roads that I was going down and it's made me apprehensive to continue down those roads. And then a lot of it has been positive and, and that's helpful as well. Um, But yeah, I mean, you can be a player in this show and a producer, essentially, in this show. You won't get credit, of course, but you can still influence the show and the content that you hear in the future just by emailing or leaving a comment on the website. So I'll continually urge you to do that. Specific examples, the episode we did with Josh Martin, that was recommended by a listener who just reached out and said, hey, 
I've been getting boards from this guy. He's got a super interesting lineage in the surf industry, and you should probably interview him. So I did. Turned out to be a great episode. Surfer Magazine ended up running on their website um, kind of an excerpt from our interview about him and one of the boards that he was building. And then the idea of closing out every interview by asking the subject what the last surfboard that they rode was, that specific question came from a listener who emailed giving general feedback about the show, but then said that I think he had heard me ask that question to somebody at some point and just said, that's a great closing question. You should definitely uh, use that in every interview kind of as a closer. And I thought that is a great idea. Why have I not thought of that? And so I always try to ask that of people. Maybe they're surfboard shapers, maybe they're not, but it's just interesting to hear what boards people are writing. Uh, the interview with Sean Thompson about his book, The Code, that came from a listener who said they read the book and they really enjoyed it and that I should reach out to Sean and that he might be interested in promoting the book on the show. Turns out it was really easy to do. He had a publicist uh, that I had to go through, but they were happy to participate. And so, you know, again, those are ideas that just came from listeners. So uh, I'm eternally grateful for that. I mean, those that interview with Sean Thompson was really one of the highlights of not only this past year, but just of my adult life. You know, that was a really fulfilling experience for me to be able to interact with one of my, you know, lifelong idols and heroes that I've looked up to. So um, I'm very appreciative for that feedback. So continue to send it. And then um, just as I always say, why not just share this show with friends? If you enjoy it, they might enjoy it too. And that's going to help keep this show going into the future. Um, It really does matter because when I'm looking at ways to grow this show in the future, a lot of the show ideas require me to travel. And if I'm going to need to travel, especially to Europe and Fiji and Australia and things like that, we're going to need to bring on a sponsor at some point in the show. And those sponsors want to see what kind of download numbers we're doing. And I am not interested in kind of jeopardizing the integrity of the show at all. But if we can find a partnership that we really believe in and that would allow us to really go create some of this content that we would like to create outside of Southern California, um, then we're going to need to bring on a sponsor. And so if we can find the right partnership, that would be something that we would consider doing in the future. So until then, though, we need to grow the show. And I think I believe in the content. I believe in the product that we are creating. And the feedback from you is that you believe in it too. So if you want to see it grow and you want to see some of those new episodes, just share it one friend at a time. Maybe every episode, find a new person who you think might enjoy the show. Just share it with them and uh, hopefully we can plant the seed with them and it'll grow organically from there and then they can share it with a friend. And I just always think that if with every episode you shared it with one friend, listenership would double for the next episode. And if that episode doubled from there and then doubled from there, we'd have exponential growth and there's really no end to growing this show. And so I appreciate that. That is enough talking about me and about Surf Splendor and where I would like to see it go in the next year. Um, But I appreciate your continued support and just being a part of this process. It's been a really fun endeavor to be involved in and, uh, 
and it's just kind of my gift back to the surfing community. You know, I'm really grateful for the surf world and for surfing in general and all the media that's produced in terms of magazines, videos, all of it. And so podcasting was a platform that I've always enjoyed just as a fan. And I thought this would be kind of a cool way to give back to the surfing community. And uh, so I, I'm appreciative for you participating and allowing me to continue doing this job. So that's it for now. Enjoy this bonus episode of Surf News with Scott Bass. I'll be back at the end of the show to sign us off, but I'll also be publishing a new episode on Monday that I've been discussing in previous episodes, which is Judgment, J-Flow versus Seabass, an analysis of the controversial heat at J-Bay and I will be analyzing that heat with a former ASP judge. So we're not really breaking down specific scores. I mean, we are, but we're also having really candid and frank conversations just about the nature of judging in general and some of the challenges that uh, we face just in viewing surfing, eliminating aesthetic, style points, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I think it's a really fascinating conversation. So it's not pure ASP talk. It's more kind of, I don't know, it's a, a macro conversation about viewing surfing and processing the viewing of surfing. So I'm excited about that episode and you can look forward to that next week. So until then, enjoy this episode. I'll be back at the end to sign us off. Thanks. Hey now, welcome everybody to Ron Swift Talk Radio, Scott Bass and David Lee Scales with you on this Wednesday, July 30th in the year 2014 and we're broadcasting live, David, from a, a unique uh, vantage point, a unique position. Why don't you uh, describe where we're at for the listeners here? Golden West College, so higher education facility, one of the finest in Huntington Beach. <laughs> I don't know if that's saying much, but it does feel nice to be on campus and to be in a learning environment. And um, we're, it's our hope that we will provide you with some uh, information, some insight, and some entertainment here as we move through Downline Surf Talk Radio today. Where have you been all my life, Scott? It's been a long time, man. I know. <clears throat> By the way, we should apologize, David and I, and I can speak for David when I say we're sorry we haven't been on a regular schedule, but the summertime has taken us out of our comfort zone. And I've been away in Colorado for a couple of weeks. I know you've been in Costa Rica. Yeah, uh, I don't need to apologize because I've been updating my show, Scott. I, oh. <laughs> I don't know about you. Wow. <laughs> no surf, uh, surf fans out in Colorado that you couldn't link up with? or uh, You know, I've, I've just been sort of focused on my Colorado exploits. but um... No, I, I actually, I'm giving you a hard time, but I actually did not update my show for a couple of weeks as well and trying to get back on track this week. So I do apologize, but um, it's tough to do, man. I mean, I, there's no excuses, and I have uh, endeavored to actually stay consistent weekly, and so I do feel bad when I don't stay consistent. And uh, it just takes some some foresight and mapping that stuff out in advance, but it's hard. Fall well, behind. you know what? <clears throat> Not to bore the listeners, but the fact of the matter is, David and I are both keen to do the show, but we live two hours away from each other. Yeah. And so it's hard. And we tried the go-to-meeting thing where I'm not sure the audio quality lived up to it, and it was a free trial. 
now they want me to buy it, and I'm not sure if I want to buy into that yet. It's kind of like I'll do it on a worst case scenario or a last resort basically, but I don't feel the need also to pay the monthly subscription and then we end up using it once every six months or something like that. Yeah. I personally would rather drive, not two hours, but the, the halfway point and meet you, meet you there. Well, uh, let's get right into it. Um, since we last spoke, the J-Bay event happened in the world of surfing contests, the World Championship Tour. Uh, the J-Bay Pro, I believe, was the Open. Official. Oh, J-Bay Open. And um, it was quite an event. Quite frankly, probably the best event so far this season as far as the quality of waves and the level of performance of surfing was uh, nothing short of magnificent. And, of course, Mick Fanning came out on top. I don't know if you had a chance to see any of that stuff. Um, uh, maybe your thoughts on, on what you saw during the South African leg of the tour. I watched pretty much the whole event. The... Uh time difference for us in California is not ideal. It basically starts at, I think, 11 o'clock at night for us and then ends probably at 7 a.m. in the morning. So it's a pretty opposite schedule, but I was able to wake up anyways and watch the heat analyzer for the most part. Um, I am thrilled to have J-Bay back on tour. When I was a kid watching that wave, it is one of my favorite waves in the world to mind surf, you know? I've never actually been there and I hope to one day. It looks incredibly challenging to surf, but when done well, I don't know that there's really a better style of surfing or a more enjoyable style of surfing to watch. Um, and they scored it this year basically at its best. There was a lot of lay days when it wasn't good, but the days that they chose to run the event were all-time J-Bay. Yeah, I would agree. It was a great event, as we mentioned, and um, you know, congratulations to Mick Fanning. The Mick Fanning-Joel Parkinson uh, final, I'm sure that was a highlight for those guys. They've been in finals together, of course, before, but to get J-Bay that perfect with those two guys, it was a bit of a letdown because Mick Fanning sort of ran away with it early and never looked back, and um, you know, Joel Parko just sort of left for want, but a great event. and. Um, Perhaps the greatest part, at least for me and for many of the, the people that I, I follow on Facebook and Instagram, was was the Tommy Curran Aki showdown. And Tommy Curran really just laid it all out there and showed why his style uh, really fits that wave. And he really dances with that wave great. And it really sort of showcased um, what surfing and surfing competition. I think when you get performance surfing and in with the competitive sphere, um, and even with the final with McFanning, I mean, you really see that these guys are surfing as they would surf on a normal day out there. They're not trying to score points. They're just doing what the wave dictates. And uh, Tommy Curran looked great. And I know that uh, the 10-point ride he got got a lot of love on Facebook and throughout the social media world. And uh, good stuff from Tom Curran. So uh, that was sort of the highlight for me. Yeah, me too. I thought... I mean, Curran at J-Bay, I can't imagine anything more enjoyable. Um, but what I, the other thing that I love about Curran is just his persona, I guess, and the fact that he is, um, he's pretty quiet, you know, and he doesn't give a lot of interviews. So you're not, the market isn't oversaturated with Curran like it is with maybe Kaloe or John John Florence or something like that. So... I enjoyed the little tidbits that he gave in interviews throughout the event. Um, a couple of details that I thought were interesting were he flew to South Africa without a surfboard. 
Did you hear about that or did you see that? that that's totally standard for Tom Curran, believe Isn't me. Isn't it amazing though? Yeah. Like I mean, in a world where guys have their, you know, are paying attention to volume of every board that comes off the line, um, Curran is going and buying one off the rack, which is rad. And yeah. he's still buying his Shaper's boards. He was riding Channel Islands, which he normally rides, but he went and bought one off the rack, which I thought was hilarious. And I know that, um, that my friend um, Mike in Hawaii... Uh, Mike Tutton, he made some boards for Kern for Jay Bay, but that is a Kern, the Zen master at its finest, just showing up late, barely getting on the plane, rolling up without a surfboard and going, uh, you know, where's the nearest surf shop? I need a board. And, and then to do all that and then to take it apart like he did, uh, I guess it says a lot about what, you know, just, he's sort of like Kelly Slater. There aren't enough superlatives for me to, to really... Um, you know, I don't do him service by trying to come up with him either. He's just, I think his surfing does the talking and that's the way it should be. It really does. I like that mindset though of um, kind of footloose and fancy free in a sense. I feel like a lot of times we're trying to control all the variables and isolate these minute differences with our fins or tail design or whatever and then trying to experiment with a variety of different fins, each set of which costs a hundred dollars, you know? and realistically, if you're not a great surfer, how much of the fin's gonna really affect your performance? And I think Tom Curran exemplifies the opposite of that, where it's just like, I'm gonna solely focus on my ability and all those other variables freaking really don't matter and they really don't influence my performance. I'm just gonna be in the, my, the right mindset and be in that, like you said, kind of zen mindset and focus on that being my priority and everything else will fall into place. I love that about Kurt. Yeah, and, and Jay Bay does a great job of, of sort of letting the wave... I mean, if there's any wave where it will dictate what you do, that's the wave. And um, and I think then you add Tom Kern to that mix, and that's what he's all about. He's like, let the wave lead the dance, and then I will follow. Uh, much like, you know, maybe a great guitar player would follow the, the key or the rhythm guitarist. And um, <clears throat> certainly a neat event, and... Um, yeah, we're both stoked that the J-Bay Open is back on the tour. Uh, how'd you feel about Jordy going down in the early Well, I'm rounds? glad you brought that up. That was really kind of one of the big, big uh, sort of surprises, I guess. You know, he looked like he was sort of back on his game um, after, what was the event prior to that where he sort of, he had a shocker, but he surfed the best. You know, he got like a 10 but didn't advance, was that? Well, there was Bells where he got that, that was really that controversial 993 okay. or whatever. Oh, then there was Brazil, right? Yeah. Okay. But um, yeah, Jordy, I, I put him on, I, I never ever put Jordy Smith on my fantasy team because I just think he's one of those guys that's bound to choke. And of course, I put him on, I figured this is his time, his home break. He's sort of shining, he's got something to prove, but in a way, nothing to prove because he surfed so well uh, down at Bells but didn't get through. I just sort of felt like everything was lining up for him to have a big event, and it was certainly a letdown that Jordy Smith didn't do better at Jeffrey's Bay. Well, it, it brings up a conversation that you and I have had a lot of times, which is whether or not he's world champ material. And your argument is, yeah, he has the raw ability, but he doesn't have the mindset that it takes to be a world champ. And I like to just play devil's advocate with you and argue, dude, his ability will get him there alone. And uh, I think that you're, you've kind of edged me out with this last performance in terms of our argument. I'm gonna have to side with you that, yeah, he looks feeble-minded, you know? He looks, 
He surfed incredibly well, but CJ stuck to his tactics and picked apart the better surfer, basically. Yeah, I would agree. I'm, I've given up on Jordy Smith. Uh, you know, the funny thing is he'll probably go out and win this hideous U.S. Open where the waves are, you know, ankle high um, and sort of shut us down. But I think when, when push comes to shove, when it really counts, he seems to choke. Um, maybe choke is too hard of a word, but he just seems to not be on his A game. And um, I think Jordy's one of those guys that was given too much too soon, and he doesn't. Uh, he at one point in his career when he was younger I'm sure he had that desire to be a champion but he's been given everything he's got a beautiful wife he's got a million dollar contract he's got tons of surfboards he can surf anywhere in the world he's basically set for life and um, you know why win a world championship what's the upside what else do I, you know I, I don't think the drives there now I think he can recapture that especially if he's humiliated enough and he humbles himself enough but I just don't see that happening well let me ask you um just like you can learn and improve and become a better surfer, can you learn, uh, I don't know, to adjust your mindset and to develop that amount of drive? I, I think you can. I think that you can be brought down to a place where you're just, um, <clears throat> you know, your sole focus. You, you, you strip away all the crap and you realize what your sole focus is. And if you can get to that place where all the um, ancillary stuff doesn't matter anymore. He realized that he had it all and it didn't fulfill him. And what will fulfill him is a championship. If he can get to that place where he's focused, um, that's really just about getting rid of all the crap around you. And I, I think that you can get to that place and then focus and stay focused and, and have a goal. But right now there's just so much surrounding him he's got so many people telling him how great he is and you know he's a great surfer but guess what there's a lot of great surfers you know there's great surfers that have never put on a contest jersey there's guys like Jim Banks and you know they're out there but so that's my my answer I guess is I think he can get it but it's gonna take a lot of humility I think if I was given a choice or maybe not me but let's say uh, for a, a child like my kid you know uh, which I don't have but if I had a kid if I was given a choice to where that kid could either have raw talent and they'd have to make up and learn the drive and motivation aspect or to have the drive and motivation in their life but have to learn the talent, I would rather go with scenario number two. I would rather that my kid had a lot of motivation and a lot of drive, perseverance, and those character traits and less in the in the talent department, they had to work for the talent. You know what I mean? I think that would make a more well-rounded human being and really a more capable human being as well. Well, it sort of comes back to the, you know, the old adage that failures are a good thing, you know? Absolutely. And, and uh, we learn from those and they're not to be um, looked down upon. And uh, I would agree with you, you know? Um, you see a lot of kids that don't have the athletic prowess that some others do, but they've got the drive. And even if they don't make it all the way to the top of their field or their athletic endeavor, you sort of go, God, I like that kid because I know he's giving it his all. And I think that in that mindset, you can enjoy being in 20th place on the world tour. You know, you're happy to be there. You're happy to be traveling the world. You're happy about your beautiful wife and your million dollar contract. And you can just, that's that is the pinnacle of life for a lot of the population out there. But um, so, but if you're always kind of focused on what you don't have and trying to get that world title, I think that you then uh, cease to enjoy some of those other elements that are, you know, amazing. Well, you know what's interesting too is a lot of these guys 
they, they recognize this need to be solely and purely focused a little bit too late in their careers. You know, um, you look at, like, Freddie P is a pretty good example. I love Freddie P, great guy. He's, he looks solid right now. Like, he's, he's one of my favorites going into Chopu. And he's in the latter half of his career, and he's gotten focus. And I hope he's gotten it soon enough so that, um, you know, it'd be neat to see Freddie P win an event prior to, to you know, the last two or three years of, of his uh, WCT career. And so if Jordy can grasp that focus when he's 28 instead of 35, or whatever age it is, you know, I think he'll be fine. But it's really going to take um, sort of a smackdown and, and uh, a sense of humility. And that's hard to find when you've got people surrounding you that are telling you you're great, writing you million-dollar checks, and going, dude, it's all good. We're selling board shorts. Just keep doing what you're doing. Right. A couple other big stories that came out of that event uh, are just world title contention stories. Gabriel Medina has two wins under his belt, and he did well in this event, which continues his push towards the world title. Michelle Barrez has two wins this year, but did not do well in this event. So that's going to kind of challenge the end of the year st stats. And then Kelly Slater, of course, went down to Matt Wilkinson. I think that was round three, or maybe it was round five. Um, but he, he didn't make the, the final series anyways. And he has zero wins under his belt this year. So um, that's, gonna, that's definitely going to challenge his, his reign as a world champ. Yeah, I looked at the stats too, and um, there's some throwaways that leave Kelly with like a third, a third, a fifth, and a third, or something like that. And, you know, going, coming into the Hurley Pro at Trestles, Kelly, of course, a favorite, won the event many, many, many times. And then you got to think the second half of the tour, um, well, at Chopu, coming up here, Kelly's right. going to be a favorite at Chopu. Made the final last year. Um, so we're starting to get into not only waves of consequence like Pipe um, and Chopu, but waves of you know, just rippable waves like, like trestles. And so you got to think that the eye on the prize for Kelly is he's going to need two wins out of that, out of those two. And all of a sudden he will vault himself into um, a prime spot going into pipeline. Of course, we've got Portugal, right, in between there sometime. And, and France. Right. Well, and Kelly can do great in France if the waves are, well, it doesn't matter what the waves are like. But so, yeah, it's going to be interesting coming in here. It's good that we've got a little bit of a bunch up. You know, there's not one major guy that's way out in front, is there? No, there yeah. isn't. And Mick obviously has a few wins, a couple, two or three wins now with J-Bay. And I like Mick, and he won last year, and he looks like he has what it takes to do it again this year. I will also go out on a limb right now and suggest that Gabriel Medina actually could be a contender. I mean, he, I think... You wouldn't expect him, if there was any event on tour that you would expect him to not do well in, it would be Jay Bay. Firstly, because it's on his backhand. Secondly, because it involves linking together of maneuvers. It's 50% about the maneuver itself, but then the other 50% of it is just about that bottom turn and the timing of the transition. And those are things that we haven't really seen him explore in the past. Thirdly, He's never surfed Jay Bay before. This was his first ever trip to Jay Bay. So I would not have put money on Gabriel Medina, but he did well in this event. And I think really what that goes to show is his adaptability. Undeniably, the kid has raw talent. We know that he has perseverance and determination. Now we're finding that he has adaptability. He's done well at big wave reef break lefts, which were in question last year. And now adding this into his game, I don't know, he looks pretty hard to beat. 
Yeah, and I always look to that San Francisco event that he won a couple years ago as, as sort of the prime example of what you're talking about, you know? Here he is on his backhand doing massive snaps and floaters in massive ocean beach surf. And, um, you know, sometimes I go, gosh, is it just because he's so young he doesn't even know any better? Like, he just showed up for Jay Ben and he went, God, the waves are killer. Let's go rip it, you know? Yeah. And he hasn't thought about it too much, which I think, is, you know, bodes well for the, all the young guys, and especially Gabe Medina. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And, uh, you know, you know, I often talk about surfing not being a sport, but some of the best part of watching the World Tour is watching the pressure mount and, and how they, these guys handle the pressure. You know, how Nat Young, how Julian Wilson, how Gabe Medina, how these younger guys deal with it when the pressure's on. I think we're going to really see that here with Gabe Medina. Now, um, you brought up John John Florence. Where's his headspace? He seems a little bit off. He almost seems like he's having, I don't want to say that sophomore slump. Is this, the, is this his second or third year on tour? I think it's his second. It seems like he's kind of off the radar competitively. I fully agree, and I will say I saw free surf footage of well, John John, and it looked second to none. I'm not doubting that at all. Yeah, no, and I. but to your point, I think that what is that huge disparity between the free surfing that he was doing out there and the contest surfing? And I, I don't really know, but I if I had to just make a stab at it, one thing that I think it might be is that it's hard to take a wild animal and create boundaries for them, you know? And John is such a raw, wild expressionist in surfing that it, it served him well in the first year when he's doing that alley-oop at Karamas because it was just undeniably amazing and they have to score it. But there's been other lesser examples of maneuvers that he's done that probably don't get a 10-point ride, that maybe they get, he does something incredible and it gets a 7-5. And he has to wrap his head around that and just go, whoa, I thought that turn was insane. And it would set the internet afire if I put that out in a web clip. But these guys are giving it a 7-5 and Ace Buckin just did eight backside snaps and they gave him an 8-5. So what do I what do I do here, you know? And all that processing that he's doing, I feel like has kind of handcuffed him a little bit. And... Uh, and I think maybe that's the headspace he's in where he's approaching a turn and he's in two minds about whether or not he should really blow the tail out of it and go into a layback or safety stance it. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, paralysis by analysis sort of almost is what he's going through. And I like it. You know who, who's great at that and who would be a great uh, guy for, for John John to, to, to talk to if he could is Kelly. Because Kelly understands all that. You know, he understands, you know what, maybe my first heat, I'm not going to go out and just go crazy because it's going to hurt me in the semifinals when I try to go crazy. And they go, oh, that wasn't quite as crazy as his first heat. So his, his need to maybe tone down early performances in the event and sort of build to a climax, something that Kelly does great, is something that perhaps John uh, needs to explore. But you're right, maybe that's why he's having problems because he's thinking about these things too much. And, you know, I mean, the other side of the argument is let him go out and be John John. Just let him surf, do his thing. Whatever happens, happens. He's one of the greatest, you know. And so, and, and you either have to commit to one or the other. And some, in some regard, I wonder if he's sort of in between. And, you know, he's playing the middle ground. And you either have to be all out, let's go surfing hardcore, or build to a climax. You just can't be in that middle space like, what should I do this heat, you know. Yeah, and that other example of going all out is what we saw with Dane Reynolds, you know, where it was either tens or twos with him. And uh, and it's apparent that John John isn't going that route. And I think that you're right, he is stuck in the middle. 
and it's unfortunate, you know, because nobody gets to benefit from that. We don't get to benefit from his explosive surfing, and he doesn't get to benefit from advancing through heats. He's just right in the middle, so he'll sort it out. Well, that brings us to the U.S. Open of surfing, which is taking place just down the street from us here uh, this week. They've got the women in the water right now, rounds two and three. And um, also known as time to record a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's code for let's record a podcast. Um, not to take anything away from the women, though, who, of course, uh, are looking real solid this year. But, uh, you know, <clears throat> the U.S. Open in general, um, to me, again, it's a letdown, you know, and I'm just going to go on a bit of a, a flurry here and let you respond to me, David. Rant, but, Scott, rant. I don't know if rant's the right word, but... Well, it would be a better podcast if you rant. Okay, I'll rant. You know, my feeling is is that, you know, the U.S. Open of surfing um, is sort of a letdown to surf fans and to surfers, and they discredit surfing a little bit by calling it the U.S. Open of surfing. Um, you know, Huntington Beach Pier simply isn't a world-class wave. It never will be. I'm not saying it doesn't have its moments. I know in the winter it gets really good. I know in the summer it gets really good. But as a venue for the U.S. Open of surfing, the Huntington Beach Pier is a loser. And when I, you know, you look at it right now, it's ankle to knee high, maybe some waist high waves. It's crappy. It's not a world-class wave that world-class surfers should be asked to perform upon. I look at like the U.S. Open of tennis. Does the U.S. Open of tennis play at you know your Muni court, your municipal tennis court? No, they have it at, at friggin' incredible brand new facility in New York City. I look at the US Open of golf. Where do they have the best golfers in the world play? Well, they go to the best golf courses in the world. And why isn't the US Open of surfing at the best potential possible surf spot in Southern California, which is trestles? The US Open of surfing should be at trestles. And you ask yourself, well, why isn't it? I, I guarantee you that if you polled every single one of the surfers in this event, we're going to have it at either Huntington Beach Pier or Trestles. Where would you want it? They're, every single one of them is going to say, we want it at Trestles. Every single one of them, maybe, except Brett Simpson, perhaps. And I'm just making light of that. Brett's won two or three of these events here at his home break. Uh, but they have to have it at, at Huntington Beach. And why is that? Because they have to surround it. Vans and IMG has to surround it with skateboarding and BMX and selling their gear and Main Street and all the aura that is or the so-called uh, vibe that is Huntington Beach and that's why they're discrediting surfing because this really isn't the US Open of surfing if it was it would be a WCT and it would be at lower trestles in September that event should be the US Open of surfing if they're serious about giving credit where credit's due and lifting up the sport of surfing. What we have here is the, and I've said this before, we have the U.S. Open of Youth Lifestyle. That's what this is. They, if they could, they'd have rock concerts this year. They can't because they got out of hand again. But believe me, uh, you know, that's not the perfect scenario for the people at IMG and whoever the sponsor is, in this case, Vance. They want as many 13 to 22-year-old eyeballs on their products and what they consider to be a youth lifestyle as possible. And so they call it the U.S. Open of Surfing, but really what they want is this big festival. And that's fine and dandy. Just don't call it the U.S. Open of Surfing. You're discrediting David Lee Scales, you're discrediting Scott Bass, and you're discrediting all the surfers around the world, especially the professionals themselves and the ASP, by having this event here. It's really sad. This is not what I would, I mean, 
If you ask a pro golfer, where's the U.S. Open of surfing? We can have it at the best possible location in Southern California, or we could have it at just a mediocre spot. They're gonna, the golfers, the U.S. Open tennis players, are gonna go. Why don't you have it at Trestles? We have our event at all at the best possible location. Yeah. Why not? And again, it's because they're not really about lifting up surfing. They're about lifting up youth lifestyle, which again, I'm okay with. I'm not against that. But by the way, that's called the Warped Tour. That's called the Vans Warped Tour. You know, you rock concert, mix in a skate, you know, a skate ramp and some BMX Warped Tour. There you go, boom. They already do it. Yeah. They just decided to do a warp tour on the beach and call it the U.S. Open of Surfing, which I have a, a little bit of a problem with. I just don't think it's right. I think the surfers deserve more. I think the sport of surfing deserves more, and I, I just think it's wrong. Well, for a guy myself who doesn't watch golf or tennis, I put a lot less weight on the word or the phrase U.S. Open. You know, it's like, to me, I don't care. The U.S. Open can exist there because it's not a CT event, and I don't put that much weight in it, and it is a festival, and there's a lot of retail opportunities well, the United for the sponsors. States Open is the opportunity to showcase your sport in the best possible location. It's an opportunity to, but to me, it's not the definitive opportunity to. It Why is, wouldn't it be? This is the United States. Why wouldn't we the, want it in the best? Because there's the pipe masters. That's the that, definitive opportunity for me to showcase the sport at its Not finest. on the mainland United States. Doesn't on matter. Mainland United States. Oh, well, then, like Plus, you said, that's Hawaii. That's not the United States. Well, point in taken. In the surf world, that is not the United point States. Point taken. Well, for me then, to your point, I got trestles in September, and to me that's... That's where the U.S. Open should be. It doesn't be. have to have that name attached to it, for me, is my point, is that you're putting a lot of weight on the name U.S. Open. I'm saying, let this festival it's exist. It's the United States Open. I get it that it's that's a name. United what I'm saying States is I have zero Open. attachment to that name. You have so, zero attachment to the United States offering the best possible venue to, to promote and pr They already surfing. do that at Trestles in September. That's where the U.S. Open should be. Doesn't matter to me if it's called that or the Hurley Pro. You know what I mean? Like, I just want to watch the best surfing, and I get to do that at Trestles. And if the retailers so the US and the Open, sponsors... It's okay to have the U.S. Open at the worst possible venue in Southern... One of the worst possible venues in Southern California. First of all, I don't think that's a true statement. It's not one okay, of the not worst the possible. It's okay to have the U.S. Open at the not the best possible location. Absolutely. World title points are not decided by it. It needs to be. By the way, I'm arguing that it has to be a WCT. That's a different subject entirely. No, it's then. not. No, yes, it's not. it is. The U.S. Open of surfing should be a WCT, a lower trestles. Otherwise, Dude, it's not you're the going, U.S. Open. You're ignoring my initial response That is to correct. You. I am ignoring it. <laughs> I'm saying that... None of my weight and value that I attach to quality surfing and the world title and who's the best surfer at the end of the year has anything to do with the name U.S. Open. We still get to see great surfing at Trestles in September. We still get to see it end at Pipeline, which arguably may not be part of the contiguous, you know, United States. But the U.S. Open is a retail opportunity and for the sponsors and for advertisers that exists in a bubble that isn't related to my experience of surfing. That's all that I'm saying. That's I've, exactly right. It's the U.S. Open of Youth Lifestyle. Exactly. It's a retail moment. But I've, I've so detached. call it that. Don't call it the U.S. Open of to Surfing. Me it do, to me, that doesn't matter. So I've surfing detached. to you is this youth lifestyle yeah. bubble. It's retail opportunity. Surfing. It's sponsorship It's dollars. a very large part of surfing. I thought it was riding waves. That's a large part of it, too. But when you go buy a bar of soap and they have a wave on the front of the thing selling it that way, they're benefiting. That's part of surfing, too. You know what I mean? They're benefiting from the lifestyle. I totally agree with that. Yeah, so I'm just saying that I, in my brain, can divorce those two things. And I don't have the weight attached to the word U.S. Open or the phrase 
that you do because you are invested in those other sports which have set a definition for that phrase for you. That's all that I'm saying. Yeah, for me, the United States and the greatest possible venue go hand in hand. The United just... States, the greatest country in the world, and I'm not apologizing for it, and the greatest possible surfing venue. Those things go hand in hand. What we have now is the United States and one of the worst possible locations relative to Southern California, especially when we have the best possible location 30 minutes away. I think you've hit the nail on the head. I hate America. And that's what this all comes down to. <laughs> that's what I'm getting at, folks. <laughs> I am so unpatriotic. Um, your entire sentiment, I My fully... My country is <laughs> a the sweet land of liberty. Well, that's blasphemous right there. Uh, no, I, your sentiment, I completely agree with. I like arguing, first of all. And, I'm not arguing. And okay, secondly, I am arguing. And secondly, uh, I do fully believe in my argument, though, in that it doesn't emotionally affect me whatsoever. That you don't this think event it discredits surfing to have? No, an, dude, to it have, doesn't. To have all of these surfers right here when they dude, could be down the beach at one of the best waves in the world. To me, it dis. If anything, it discredits it only to us, the core surfers. But I'm savvy enough to be able to distinguish that. Their goal isn't to tell me and to try to trick me that this is, yes, it is. the best surfing in the world. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. That is their goal. No, their goal is to trick mainstream America that this is the best surfing in the world. They are not the core group of surfers. Surfers. So, it doesn't affect me in one way or the other. I know they're not trying to trick me. They're trying to trick middle America. And secondly, I'm smart enough to know that this isn't where the greatest surfing exists. Period. I'm not. You know what? I'm, I'm not beholden to these advertisers. I'm not under their. I don't know, uh, hypnosis. So I understand that those advertisers... And I don't think surfing should be either. But That's check my it point. Out. Right now, they're, calling, they're saying surfing, this is surfing in America, right here. This That's, is the epicenter. Dude, this is you're what fooling it's all yourself. All they're doing... That's what they are telling no, you. No, all that those advertisers are doing is trying to sell widgets. And I'm down with that. Just call it the U.S. Open of Youth Lifestyle. That's what it is. Do, do they have a skateboard ramp at the U.S. Open of Golf? And if not, why don't they? I don't know. I'm because sure they have a lot of other... Because they're lifting up their sport, not skateboarding. Do they have a BMX thing at the U.S. Open of Tennis? I don't no, know. I don't they watch don't. it. Well, they don't. Ask do Bobby not. Martinez. They yeah. do not. <laughs> they do not because they're lifting up the sport of tennis. Do they have additional things around surrounding those events that benefit from the showcase of tennis? People that go there go to watch golf and to tennis and to watch surfing. They don't go to listen to whoever play music on the beach or to check out the skateboarding event or to check out the BMX event. Then it's the main not, draw yeah. is tennis and golf. Then it's not a fair apples to apples comparison in my mind. You know what I mean? I don't, like they're not trying why do they to have, be, Why do they have skateboarding at the US Open of Surfing? Because it's, an, it's a, an extreme sport, you know, and there's relationship between skateboarding and surfing. They share a lot of the same customer base and sponsorship. So it's a kind of dual marketing opportunity. That's I why. I would agree with that. And that's what I have a problem with. Surfers would it's, also like to go watch lifestyle. the skating. It's a youth lifestyle event. But it's surfing US is, Open of youth I mean, lifestyle. honestly, surfing is a youth, youth lifestyle too. A lot so of surfers golf. also skate. John John Florence himself would like to go back and watch the skating. 
You know I'm what I mean? I'm not doubting that they don't want to watch it. I like watching it. But what I'm saying is it's not the U.S. Open of surfing. It's the U.S. Open of youth lifestyle. It's four or five or six events all in one at this beautiful place known as Huntington Beach. And I'm not being facetious. I love Huntington Beach. I'm not against Huntington Beach. What I'm saying is the U.S. Open generally, and maybe this is where we have a disconnect, or perhaps I'm wrong, but the U.S. Open, the, the terminology, the U.S. Open of sport, is generally held at the best possible location available to that sporting uh, clique, whatever it is, tennis, golf, surfing. And that's all I'm saying, is that that's but where it should be. And those... to call this the U.S. Open of surfing, when it's really a four or five or six different events all wrapped around the cultural hub of Huntington Beach, is doing a disservice to surfing. Surfing deserves better than to be lumped in with all that other crap. Yeah, I fully agree with your sentiment. I just don't have the same emotional attachment to it. You need another That's cup it. of coffee. Maybe it's this cup of high octane that I just drank that pushed of, me over the edge. Out of a vending machine? How is that, by the way? It was pretty high octane. I'm rolling. Is it drinkable? Yeah. Okay. Um, okay, so Kelly has bowed out of the U.S. Open of surfing. <laughs> Why do you think that is? Do I'm you not, really think there's an injury? I'm not I guarantee gonna, you there is not an injury. I'm not going to be Slater able. Kelly Slater hates Huntington Beach, or at least surfing in an event here. I'm not going to be able. The only reason he used to do it was because he's buddies with Bob Hurley. I'm not going to be able to even hear the word, the phrase U.S. Open for the rest of the week without <laughs> laughing. Um, no, I fully agree with you. Number one, Slater doesn't want to surf two-foot Huntington when his, Why not? World, when his world title threat or hopes are on the line. He needs to focus on Tahiti. Secondly, I don't think he ever wanted to in the past, but I think that he probably had quicksilver obligations to make personal appearances. Bob Hurley. And to show up. Bob well, Hurley. Prior to Bob Hurley, even, no. being a sponsor. I think prior to Bob, he didn't have to show up here. It was up to him. You don't think Quicksilver wants him to I'm show sure they up want at the most no, well-attended event? I didn't say event? they don't want him yeah. to. I'm saying he, wasn't, he didn't have to. Okay. What is, Bob his... stepped up and goes, dude, I will give you a lot of money, not just Kelly, but a lot of the top guys to show up at the event. There was a, there was a, uh, say more, a fee. Tell me, tell me more. There was a finder's fee. There was a fee to show up. How much? Just like Tiger Woods gets one. Tiger Woods gets paid like a million dollars just to go to Abu, you know, wherever it is, Abu Dhabi to play golf. I don't think he's going to Abu Dhabi. Who? Oh yeah, no, you're right. Tiger I'm Woods. sorry. Yeah, yeah. So, um, what was the fee? Do you have any idea? I don't know was what the a... fee was, but it's, I'm. I'm assuming that there assuming is... Assuming or you heard that that actually was taking place? I have heard that. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. So aside from contest winnings, just show up and we'll yes, pay you this amount. Yes, exactly. That's awesome. The top guys. And quite frankly, and again, I could be wrong. Yeah. I, I, this isn't fact. This is uh, innuendo that I've heard through the grapevine. Uh, those guys showed up not just for that, but because they're so tight with Bob. Bob Hurley's such a good guy, and they're all such big... They're friends with yeah. Bob. That they're like, you know what, I'm going to do it. You know, the Mick Fannings, the Joel Parkinsons, the Kelly Slaters. Those years that it was the Hurley U.S. Open, uh, those guys showed up uh, more or less because Bob called in a favor. Well, a lot of those guys are absent this year. Not only Kelly, but I mean all the top. Would they be absent if it was at Trestles? If the U.S. Open was at Trestles? Probably not. That's a different, dude, I'm not arguing that. That's a different conversation. No, it's not. It is. The U.S. Open should be at the best possible location. Well, no, they're going to be at Trestle still. Yeah, and it should be called the U.S. Open. That's irrelevant to no, me. No, it's not. <laughs> they're still going to compete at Trestle's, which is all I care about as a fan, you know? So, at any rate, I, to, <laughs> to answer your question, yes, I agree. Kelly Slater probably is not injured. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Joel's not there. Taj isn't there, who's always been there in the past. So, um, 
a lot of guys aren't there, which make it less enjoyable to watch. It's it's one to two foot. It's total crap. If there was nobody on the beach, no setup, nothing, if this wasn't happening this week, there would be nobody even in the water surfing. There right. might be like a surf school or something. But everyone would be at trestles trying to hunt down a three-foot wave. Uh, you know, you are saying Jordy could win this event when we were talking about Jordy earlier. I will say that he will actually be dethroned by none other than Matthew Banting. Oh, God. <laughs> the Matthew Banting fan club. You're the president. Him and Carlos Munoz. 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 I wouldn't even be so committed to banning unless you were just, uh, if you were, weren't were so committed to expelling him from your memory. And I'm from... not. I See, you're wrong. I'm a big fan of Matt Banning and Carlos Munoz. Oh, I want them to do well, but my try. thing is call me when they're in the top 10 of the WCT. Don't There's try to jump a, on the bandwagon are, now, late there, in the game. There are a bunch of guys that are as good as Matt Banting and Carlos Munoz and Call me when those guys are in the top 10 of the WCT. When they're competing against Nat Young and Ace Buckin and those guys, Josh Kerr, when they're at that level, then they will have arrived and I will give them their credit. I want them to get there, but they are not there. I will call you when that happens. Give it, uh, I would say, 24 months and I will make that call to you. <laughs> but when I do, you're not allowed to root for them. Yes, like, I no, am. You're not. I want them to get there. No, I, you're not. I want Matt Banning to be in the top 10. I don't care. Right now, no, he is not. No, dude, you're jumping on the bandwagon late in the game, and then you're going to cheer him on and shout his praises. I'm saying I bought in at the ground level when it was a startup company. <laughs> well, you can cash in your stock, whatever. I don't care. I'm a big fan of great I'm going to sell it to you for full pop, dude. <laughs> go, Matt. Go, buddy. And you too, Carlos. So... Anyways, what else? What else you got at the US? Uh, well, I don't know if you saw this thing that made the AP wire, but this, um, they were, apparently they were the uh, NSA or the FBI or whoever it was, does their annual scour of social media and the internet to find um, potential problems with the US Open of tennis, which is played in New York City. And when they were doing that, they came across a blip on their screen that was a terrorist threat against the US Open of surfing by this 16-year-old kid who lives here in Huntington Beach. Uh, the problem's been squashed, the kid was arrested, they found some guns and some ammunition and some, quote, electronic devices. Who knows what that is? That's gotta be just be like some Call of Duty game or something, but, yeah. but um, interesting that um, some smart out kid who uh, I hope he didn't really have any uh, you know, true weight behind his threats, um, but he got his own, He's, I'm sure that'll never happen again. Do you know what uh, what the threat was or what he said on Facebook? I really don't, and nobody does. Um, oh, they, they haven't released it? No, they okay. haven't released it. Um, it was just, you know, basically, it was, it was bad enough so that they went, hey, you know what, let's go get this guy, and they found some guns. Now, you know, you can read a lot into that. They went to a 16-year-old's house, they found some guns. Could have been his dad's guns. I don't think that the 16-year-old is obviously a registered gun owner. Um, Did they say what... Um is he currently detained? How long yeah. is he detained for? What kind of punishment? All that sort of stuff? Um, let's just see here that he was arrested. Uh, he was booked on suspicion of making a terrorist threat. Um, he has not been identified because he's a minor. Police confiscated a handgun and a shotgun as well as electronic devices. Yeah. Um, other than that, they're, they're not really disclosing much more. Um, and the teenager is telling the police that he wasn't serious and that he was just, quote, messing around, end quote. 
Yeah, so the police have been out in full force this year, too. I don't know. I'm sure listeners remember last year there was rioting on the final day of the U.S. Open that took place on Main Street. And it's just overcrowded and people are drinking. Not You're not legally allowed to be drinking in public, but there's bars up and down Main Street and people sneak alcohol in, of course. Um, so it just got out of hand last year and uh, people started breaking store windows, flipping over cars, um, and stealing and looting and that sort of stuff. And there was a lot of arrests made after the fact. And a lot of that was actually done through the benefit of social media. People had recorded the rioting on their cell phones and then posted it on YouTube. And the police were able to just make identifications based on their the look, you know, people's faces and take screen grabs and say, hey, if anybody knows this looter, let us know. And people then started doing sleuthing on Facebook and identified, hey, this guy has a Facebook page and he plays football in Downey and the police show up at the kid's house and arrest him later. I think there was like 26 arrests made last year or something like that after the fact, after the looting and rioting had already finished. Well, I don't know if you saw the link I sent you, but there is a YouTube clip out there from um, earlier in this year's event where there was some fighting on the beach. Some guy stopped in the middle of the street and, you know, 15 uh, different guys kind of started to taunt him and there was some some beatdowns that went down right here on Main Street. I don't know if you saw that or not. Did you, Are you did sure? You I saw the link, but I thought it was a link to something I saw last year, so I didn't actually play it. Are you sure it was this year? I'm not absolutely positive. Is I it was the, under the assumption that it was because it was so fresh on, on the internet, but I, I could be wrong. It is might it, have been last is year. Is it the one where he's at a stop sign and the passenger gets out and knocks out three guys with yes. a left hook? Yes. That was amazing. Yes. Is that last year? That was last year. Oh, okay. I saw it last year. Yeah, so like... Basically, everybody's taunting everybody in this in this riot last year. You know how things go get out of hand. But there was a car full of younger guys, maybe late teenagers, early 20s, who pull up to a stop sign. And there's so much traffic and pedestrians that they couldn't go. They couldn't move past the stop sign. So they might have honked at somebody or said something. And so people around the car surrounding the vehicle start taunting the people inside the vehicle. Well, the passenger gets out of the vehicle and one guy steps forward to him and he just throws this mean left hook or cross and knocks one guy out. The second guy approaches, boom, knocks that guy out. Third guy approaches, boom, box, knocks that guy out. And so the crowd, of course, this mob mentality shifts and starts cheering for the guy who's doing the knocking out, basically, because they're all taunting him. But then once he becomes the kind of hero in this situation, they're, they're then cheering him on. And of course, nobody else steps up. It's like up. Gladiator. Like it the is. crowd turned on Gladiator's side, Maximus. Totally. <laughs> Are you not entertained? That was epic. I just happened to catch that movie. That's got to be one of the greatest movies. Um, so this guy, of course, nobody else steps up to get KO'd, and he gets in his car and they take off. But kind of a little bit of vigilante justice, you know? Well, um, you know, I, I hope and I know that you hope that everything goes smooth for the U.S. Open here this week. I'm sure it will. As you said, the police have stepped up their efforts. They're, they're allowed to actually search bags this year, too, for some reason. So if there's any, if they feel that you are uh, concealing something or suspicious, they can just pull you aside and look through your backpack or your purse or whatever on demand. Uh, nothing like... Uh the U.S. Open of Youth Lifestyle to have your liberty stripped from you immediately. <laughs> the U.S. Open of Big Brother stepping in. <laughs> well, um, that moves us right along here to some very sad news, which is the sudden passing of Sonny Miller a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Sonny Miller, a dear friend of ours, a, a friend of the show, a guy who's been on this show 
at least four or five times. And um, a guy who was really lived life to the fullest. Sonny was was a captivating character. He really kind of filled up a room when he came in, and he told great stories and loved life. And really, you know, I mean, you hear that cliche, you know. Um, you know, loved life or lived life to the fullest, but Sonny really did. I mean, he was on the go all the time, and he was, you know, either, you know, shooting, you know, footage of this or that, some Hollywood surf production, you know, the Ma he worked on the Mavericks, you know, the Jay Moriarty movie. Um, he, he worked on a bunch of Hollywood movies, and you know, sort of his opus was the Searching for Tom Curran video that came out in the 90s. It was actually film, I believe, but I could be wrong, but either way, uh, very sad. He, he passed away quite suddenly. I, I want to say he was about 55 or 56 years old, which is, of course, very young. And I'm uh, just a bummer that we lost a great friend of the surf world in Sonny Miller. Can you give me a Sonny Miller story, like one specific incident or or uh, interaction that you had with him? Well, you know, I, I went to I went on a couple trips to Indo with Sonny. Um, you know, I, I, on the on the spot, it's hard for me to come up with one classic thing. And quite frankly, I wasn't as good of friends with him as a lot of other guys were. I was um, I was a friend of Sonny's, um, a little bit more than an acquaintance. But there's guys like Brad Gerlach and, uh, and John Glom and the Galland brothers that really, that really sort of grew up with Sonny in high school that would be able to tell an anecdote about Sonny. But um, I just know that every time I shot photos with Sonny on these trips, you know, we'd be side by side in boats for hours, and he just was always telling a great story, always had a smile, always had some fun thing to, to kind of riff on. He just kept it entertained. You know, he was an entertaining guy, just naturally, sincerely entertaining. And, um, and again, I, I don't have anything in particular to, that I can pinpoint, but uh, he was a great guy. One thing that people don't realize, too, is that lifestyle of filming and or uh, surf photography is a brutal lifestyle it's certainly not digging ditches or laying you know uh, railroad track or anything like that but it's in the sun all day long it often begins before sunrise you're filming all day long or shooting all day long and then the processing of the footage is another super time-consuming endeavor and then the editing of all the footage is an incredibly tedious endeavor as well so yeah it seems glamorous and you're at the beach and you're going to these exotic locales but you're putting in 15-hour days you know and and not even really catching up with your work in those 15-hour days and it's really not that financially rewarding either so you have to be doing it for the love of it and if you are doing it for the love of surfing it's also very challenging to sit on a boat watching perfect waves peel over the reef all day long. It's the so, worst, quite frankly. Yeah. It is the worst if you're a surf fiend like you and I are. And um, you're right, you know, there's, there's a lot of work that goes into it and it's not as glamorous as, as people might think. Unsung heroes of the surf industry, man, right along with surfboard shapers. Yeah, exactly. Well, um, you know, they had a great paddle out for Sunny in a memorial. And, um, you know, one of the things that concerns a lot of us is how is Sonny Miller's um, legacy. He has tons and tons of great footage that, and still photos that, um, you know, I don't think he has any errors, so we're concerned that it doesn't fall into the wrong hands. And I think that there are some people that are on point in managing this and trying to get this taken care of. And I think it would be neat if somehow or another we could get the Sonny Miller archives into the hands of the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center where it belongs, the Smithsonian of the surf world. and. Um, Again, I think some people are marshalling that forward, and I hope that's the case. 
Was he married or anything? He at one point was married, divorced, no children. Uh, I think he has a sister or something like that. But um, again, I, I do know that there are some people that um, are trying to marshal that into the right direction. And I'm sure that Mike Prickett and um, Britt Galland and um, maybe Gary McNabb, some of those guys are, are helping to, to make sure that his legacy and all of his life's work is protected. Okay, yeah, I was unaware of that, that issue. Bummer. Yeah. Uh, next on the agenda is uh, Rusty Preisendorfer has been named as the honoree for the boardrooms, Icons of Foam, Tribute to the Masters. Of course, Rusty, a legendary shaper, a surfer, a fisherman, a guy from San Diego, La Jolla area. And um, the boardroom's gonna be honoring him in 2015. That press release just came out yesterday. And uh, tomorrow, which is Thursday, or excuse me, I think Friday, August 1st, they're going to be inducting him into the Surfers Hall of Fame right down here on Main Street at Huntington Surf and Sport. Yeah. And so, um, you know, that'll be good. By the way, they, the, hunting, the U.S. Open of Youth Lifestyle is a great opportunity to do all of these things. Just don't put the world's greatest surfers in the crap waves. Um, what board is it that you guys are going to be showcasing for people to recreate at the boardroom show of Rusty's? Well, I'll have to talk with Rusty about it. Um, I, he has hinted that, and it is my understanding that it will probably be the 1984 Aki model that Aki really um, uh, used to ride to prominence that year and that model certainly lifted the Rusty brand a lot. In fact, in 1985, the next year is when he started his R-Dot label. So this will be the 30th year anniversary of the R-Dot, the Rusty surfboard label. So um, probably that board. Yeah, and they have a limited edition uh, replica of that board that is made available right now to the mass market, right? Yeah, and it's a fun board. I've ridden that board. They've had that board out on uh, on the market for a long time. Oh, they have? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and it's a great board. And I'm sure that Rusty will throw a little um, wrench in it, you know, to make it a little bit yeah. more difficult for the, the shapers that are going to be replicating it. And uh, uh, it's going to be a really great boardroom next year because of that. And uh, in addition to that, we're going to also be having a surfer shaper surfing challenge, a surf contest. So shapers are going to be in this contest. They're going to be surfing in this contest and they're going to be allowed to pick one team rider and it'll be a two-man team, the shaper and the surfer. And that's going to go down this fall, uh, probably at Seaside Reef. And um, we're in the process of organizing that and getting that taken care of. But that's going to be a lot of fun. And we will then, you know, acknowledge those winning teams, those winning shaper surfer teams at the boardroom uh, as one of the exhibits. Can I commentate the surf contest? Of course you can commentate. Dude, yes, I you would can. love to. Yeah, just sit Dude. on the beach and start talking. No one's stopping you. <laughs> There's not a booth? I'll put you in a booth. <laughs> Give me a microphone that's not plugged Give into anything. Give me a anything. microphone. There's a restroom. You can go sit in it and commentate. <laughs> No, of That's course funny. you could. No, that would be good. I'd um, love to have you there as a commentator. That's a good idea. I, I don't even know who's competing in that event, but I've got a pick for a winner already. Okay, go for it. Daniel Thompson. He could be right up there. Dude, There's some rips. other guys, too. Um, he would for sure be a favorite, but you'd be surprised how many great shapers there are that surf really good. Um, but Daniel would be hard to beat at this point. There's guys like Chris Gallagher who would oh, be great. Oh, yeah, Galley. Um, there's um, C.T. Taylor from, from Florida 
There's um, even Pat Mulhern, believe it or not, Pat's got chops. He's for, for an older guy now, he's still very aggressive in the water and surfs red hot. Um, Cordell. Cordell. That'd be a super heat, dude, those guys that we just named. And there's a quite a few other guys that rip, too. There's, um, there's um, Brian Sakel from Huntington Beach right here who lives down in Cardiff now who's a red-hot surfer. Brian Szymanski. Uh, there's a bunch of guys that you, you forget that there's a bunch of shapers that are really good surfers. So yeah. it's going to be fun, and, um, and we look forward to putting that together. Awesome, man. Sounds like a great event. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Um, coming up on the WCT, uh, the Chopu event is next on our radar. I want to say it starts like August 6th, okay. but I could be off by a couple days. I tried to look it up before the show, but I don't have internet access here. But um, favorites for me going into that event, this is one of those spots where you can immediately pull the top 10 and, and count on them to be right up there, much like the J-Bay event. Um, you know, you, these prime spots like Pipe, J-Bay, Chopu, you always look at the top guys and go, There's, some of those guys are going to be in it here at the end. And, and uh, the one guy that I, that I mentioned earlier is Freddie P. I think Freddie P is going to have a, a solid event at Chopu, and I hope I'm not jinxing him. But of course, um, Kelly Slater, the Hobgoods, um, Gabe Medina, you got to think he's going to be right there. Um, I don't know what your thoughts are on favorites. Give me a wild card. Give me a, an underdog. And then, uh, you know, obviously of the favorites, who do you see in the final? I'm going to, for my favorite, I'm actually going to give you kind of a dark horse favorite, which is John John Florence. Uh, obviously, he's an incredible backside barrel rider, but given our earlier conversation, not a lot of competitive prowess. But this is a wave that he doesn't need to, to try to decide how to approach it. All he's got to do is get barreled. So John John's my pick for the overall winner. If I have to give you a dark horse favorite or an underdog, I'm going to go Sebastian Zietz. That's a good one. Um, I was going to throw out like a guy like Kai Otten, you know, a goofy foot who, who's a solid big guy that really has sort of been – actually he's been rising a little bit. He's been doing okay. And um, – him and Owen Wright sort of stand out. I don't know if Owen uh, yeah. necessarily is an underdog, but he certainly is because of last year's injury. So um, Owen Wright. He's made the final there before, and then he's also uh, made the semis at J Bay this past event. So he's looking good. Yeah, Owen Definitely Wright on the upswing good. for sure. And uh, the, the, the swell looks all, The Southern Hemisphere is starting to generate some storms right now, and things look like they could be lining up for an early start with some solid swell at Chopu. Um, question regarding Tom Curran earlier we always think of Tom Curran surfing right point breaks he's from Santa Barbara County got his chops at you know Rencon but I don't can't remember any footage of Tommy getting barreled on a backside reef pass on a left reef pass can you uh you know that's a great point the one time I remember Tom at a big left was at Pipeline during the, um, I want to say it was like the 2004 or 2005, it was the Rip Curl Pipeline Pro at the time. And we woke up that morning, I was in Jamie O'Brien's backyard shooting photos. We were, all, everyone was sort of getting together looking at it and it was huge and it was unruly and it was messy and it had sort of that morning sickness vibe to it. And, and I remember uh, Claude Warbrick, the, the main guy at Rip Curl and Neil Ridgeway, the marketing VP were there kind of sussing out the situation, the conditions, to determine whether they were going to start the event. And, um, you know, 10 minutes went by, 15 minutes went by, 20 minutes went by, started to kind of clean up, you know, the wind started to groom it a little bit, but it still had that high tide kind of 
ugliness. It was still very mean. There was only four or five guys really trying to kind of give it a look. I think um, Kainoa McGee went out there and got a couple waves, and I want to say Nathan Fletcher, uh, maybe Chris Ward paddled out and got one. And then randomly we saw Tom Curran run down to the beach and, and paddle out, you know. And it was the type of conditions that you could lose a guy real quick. It was just all over the place. But again, starting to clean up. And um, and again, Claw and Neil were there with you know Randy Rarick, and they were trying to determine what they were going to do. Were they going to wait? You know, were they going to you know start it right away? And sure enough, a beautiful set came, um, a big mean one. But the sun had kind of popped out on it, and the wind had turned offshore, and it was starting to really clean up, but still meaty and still high tide. And and who's this guy who, who wraps into a second reefer and is doing that classic sort of S-turn fade down the face, setting up the inside reef section of pipe, and it's Tom Kernan. All eyes turn to Tom on this bomb. And he just, you know, perfectly Tom Kern style, bottom turn, stood up high in the pocket, sort of like rabbit in that classic footage, and got a beautiful tube, sort of a top tube, came down, did another bottom turn, then the whole thing was just gonna rifle super fast along that inside reef, and Tom just sat in it perfectly, did a little stylish layback, came out very, you know, you know, Tom Curran, he's sort of, um, you know, no claim, just very casual, like that's what he does all day long, and rode it to the beach, and of course, Neil Ridgeway and, and Claw Warbrick looked at each other and told Randy Rarick, you know what, it's on, we're going right now and let's start it in, you know, 30 minutes or whatever. And that was sort of my classic Tom Curran moment on a beautiful, big, meaty, mean pipeline left. Have you seen footage of that or is any I took photos of it. I have photos of it and there I'm sure that we could YouTube it and pull it up. It, it was there was a lot of people on the beach. Again, it was the first day of the event. Everyone was like geared up, ready to run it, knowing it was huge. The beach was packed with yeah. you know industry, you know, photographer types ready to run this thing. Do you uh, can you put those photos on your website? Do you know where to find I them? I hope they're on some hard drive uh, buried somewhere. I so hope I can no. dig them up. Yeah, that's basically <laughs> a no, but I'm sure that we could pull it up. Uh, I bet there's YouTube footage of Tom Kernan Pipeline, 2004, 2005, right around there, Rip Curl Pro. Isn't it interesting though how uh, it's hard to remember him going left? I mean, you just pulled out no, a great example. You're, but... you're, you're, you're absolutely right though. It, yeah. is, it is, you don't, you, it, you just, all you think about is him going right. Yeah, and even all that Indo footage, you know? Yeah, he's at Bawa, you know, he's, yeah. he's at all the really killer right-handers. Yeah, and then even thinking about Pipeline, I can think of the classic backdoor barrel he got in the mid or early 2000s as well, you know, and, but that's right, that's a right, that's backdoor, so it's interesting. Um, the only, the, the other left-hander that stands out is here at Huntington Pier, yes. when he's surfing in the OP Pro in the early 80s against Shane Haran or Aki or whoever it was, yeah. you know. And, I remember And him. he's doing like, you know, Rios on two, you know, one foot inside crap, you know. But, to be honest, when you look at that footage, if he surfed that wave exactly like that in today's event, he'd still get an eight. It's incredible. He takes it like off the bottom, straight off the top, like doesn't blow the tail out, but like pushes it through, does it two or three times, and it's like, holy crap. Yeah, interesting, you know, and he's probably riding like a 6'2 or a 6'3 or whatever it is. You know? with, with two and a half inches or three inch thickness, you know? Yeah, maybe like, like that. two and five eighths or yeah. something. <laughs> Pretty boxy. When I mentioned, um, that uh, rusty 1984 replica board that Aki was riding that they're, that's available to purchase now. I mentioned that to a friend the other day and that I want to get one. He's like, yeah, if you have eight inch thick ankles, <laughs> it might work perfectly for you. 
By the way, I, I only saw the Tom Curran footage at Jay Bay last week, um, just his 10-point ride. I didn't see the heat between him and Aki, but I heard that Aki didn't look so good. Did you happen to catch the heat analyzer? I watched the whole thing. Um, I disagree with that. Well, are you talking about his physical characteristics or his surfing ability? Just both. Okay. Uh, he looks thick, I will put it that way. And you can't hide anything in a wetsuit. A wetsuit, don't lie. He didn't look in shape, is that what you're saying? He did not look in shape, but to be perfectly honest, he didn't look like most 50-year-old males look. You know, he didn't look super out of shape either. He looked like, uh... and the second thing is he's surfing against current. So, I mean, yes, they're equivalents and they're contemporaries and they had seven wins and seven losses against one another. So by all measures, they are equivalents, but Curran surfed at his peak performance Aki did not but Aki still showed moments of brilliance that were remindful of old Aki his approach is exactly the same and he stands kind of upright and then just drives off a bottom turn that that just you get he gets so much drive and projection and then his timing like in transition was a little bit slow and off so by the time he hooked it under the lip it wasn't like like a super perfectly placed uh turn but he still got some of that raw power that we all appreciate from him. The extra weight probably is holding him back, but it wasn't like a big gut hanging out. It was just, he looks wider, you know, yeah. and thicker, yeah. basically. And he was already pretty thick, you know? Yeah, yeah. All so, right, well, cool. Yeah, you should you should dig up the footage. I want to. I had a hard time with the heat analyzer this year in that event. I don't know, I, I just couldn't, my, my internet wasn't working. It worked fine for me in Costa Rica, so it's. I don't think it's the ASP's goof. Uh, the last thing here is the 100 Wave Challenge, which is taking place September 20th uh, at Mission Beach in San Diego. And I'm going to be surfing alongside Sean Thompson, and we're going to be raising money for a great cause, which is the Boys to Men Mentoring Program, a program which um, has um, mentors basically inner city youth, uh, kids without fathers, kids whose fathers are in prison. Uh, these kids are um, you know, right on the cusp of either doing the right thing or making the wrong choice and either going into uh, moving forward with getting good grades and, and living a solid life with some integrity or perhaps taking the wrong choice and, and maybe going into gangs and taking drugs and eventually ending up in prison. And many of these kids, again, their fathers are in prison or in gangs already. And they don't have uh, adult males in their lives to um, tell them what it really means to be a man and what it means to live with integrity and, and some values. And so I'm a big fan of not only the Boys to Men mentoring program, but any mentoring program that helps uh, young kids today, inner city kids that need guidance, because a lot of these kids just simply don't have fathers and it's really sad. So anyway, we're going to be raising money. Uh, we're going to catch 100 waves. I'm urging you, the listeners, to support me by going to 100wave.org and clicking on the home page and you'll see it'll say find surfers click and find my name and donate some money to me uh, to my cause here um, not to me I'm gonna be raising money for this cause so if you want to help me out uh, or actually help out the boys to men uh, just go 100wave.org and give me a dollar a wave I'm gonna try to catch a hundred waves if you can't give a dollar a wave give me 50 cents a wave um, or just give me a flat rate, whatever you can afford to give us as I try to raise money in uh, the 100 Wave Challenge. Again, that's 100wave.org. You can um, help by donating to my cause. Thanks. Is this a 
uh, honesty policy. We're just gonna take your word for it that you caught a hundred waves. Or how does this work? No, you're going to be video? there commentating. You're oh, gonna, yeah. okay. This is your tryout to commentate. <laughs> you Actually, we all get watches that have wave um, counting devices on them. How does the watch know that you count a wave? You that just, you caught you a click wave? It. You click it. Right, but you could click it twice for every one wave you caught. Then the answer is yes. It's, a, <laughs> it's an honesty policy. Dave, you have to trust me, my friend. And by the way, you're doing it with me. You're going to be surfing alongside of me. So let me. You're going to join Sean Thompson and me on our team, the Cardiff Kooks team. And uh, can I explain yeah. to you my thought? No rationalization. Just always. tell me you're doing it. No, dude. I always like to just. I'm a talker, dude. Okay. This is a talk show, right? Yeah, but we're going to be catching waves. I need you into action for the Boys to Men Mentoring Program, 100wave.org. I'm all about it, Scott. I'm all about the cause. It sounds fantastic. The only hiccup i'll tell Here you on, we go. on a personal level just yeah. the only hiccup for me yeah. i hate asking people for money i don't feel good about it i if you said write a check and contribute to this thing i'm down to do that but i have a little bit of just i don't know what it is a personal just thing where it's like i'm down to do this and i'm down to catch 100 waves and donate whatever money's involved but i'm apprehensive to turn to all my friends and family and be like hey guys donate money to this thing on my behalf look you know they don't I mean? have to you, all you have to say is look i'm catching 100 waves you you okay. can or cannot help me it's no i'm not going to hold you in um judgment whether you help or not i understand it's not you know everyone has different situations financially resource wise but i am saying that i'm going to do this if you'd like to help that'd be great if you if you can't help i understand just you know and so it's just about the way you deliver your message okay i will you can do that I will do the action of participating and I'll even set up an account to have people contribute to, but um, I'll have to be very, uh, I don't know, uh, delicate in how I ask people for money, I guess. And I want you to be delicate. Okay. I want you to be delicate. Okay. I want you to just go, look, you know, here's the deal. I'm going to do this. I'm trying to help raise some money. If you want to help, help. It's a jogathon. People do this all the time. Totally. You'd be surprised how many people go, dude, I'd love to help. You know what? Right, I know right. somebody who didn't have a father. I right. want to help these boys out. Right. And it's well, a great cause. They're not giving you the money. They're no, giving I know. the cause the money. Undeniably, that it, 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 it is a great cause. And I'm fully support it, and I'll contribute to your campaign. Um, but, yeah, it's just a personal issue. I don't know what it is. Got to talk to the therapist about that, I guess. No, I, dude, I totally understand. It, it, you know, it, it can be difficult. But, again, I will sort of coach you towards success, okay? I like it. Yeah. My financial mentor. Right here. <laughs> Well, I don't know about that. I could get you into some trouble, but I can help you help us raise money for 100wave.org. I like it. All right. Well, that's our show, David, for this week. Um, again, the U.S. Open of Youth Lifestyle going on behind us here at Huntington Beach. And um, I'm hoping that the ASP, now that it's the new ASP, it's really the first time ever that they'll have the power to be able to go, you know what? We're over this. It's not good for the sport of surfing. We're going to move on. Uh, don't be disappointed when the ASP chases profit over what's good for the core group of surfers. I'm not sure how much the ASP profits off of this event. I know who does profit, Vans, IMG, Huntington Beach. And by the way, they can still do this event. You just call it the, you know, the Youth Lifestyle Festival and just have the concert, have the skating, have the BMX, have Huntington Beach, have the induction ceremonies, have everything. Just don't force a crappy wave on the world's best surfers. You just said a lot of words, but don't be surprised when the ASP chases profit over 
you know, what's good for the core surfing community. I want the ASP to chase profit. They're going to get profit by having the best surfers in the best waves, thereby lifting up their brand. Which they will still do in September at Trestles. At the U.S. Open of Surfing at Trestles. No. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Change will come. I, I'm confident that change will eventually come. Um, that's our show until next time, which we hope is two weeks from today. Adios and aloha. listening to Surf Splendor over the course of this past year. We are infinitely grateful for your listenership and your support by sharing this show. If you listen in iTunes or Stitcher, please rate and review the show. We haven't had a new review or rating in probably about a month, so I'd love to see some more of that. That really helps grow the show and it helps other people to find it. It helps increase our likelihood to pop up during search functions. So please, if you haven't already, just rate and review the show. Uh, also, share the show with friends. Follow us on social media, at Surf Splendor. Uh, if you enjoy the music that you hear in Surf Splendor, we've dedicated a page on the website to archiving every song in every episode. You can link out of our site to YouTube to watch and listen to the song. And we've also embedded a Spotify player. So if you have a Spotify account, you can go on our website and there's a playlist for every episode and you just click play and hear it instantly. And so that's a great way to hear any of the songs that you've enjoyed in past episodes of Surf Splendor. So thank you again for listening. We hope that you enjoyed this show. I look forward to bringing you next week's episode, Judgment, J-Flow versus Seabass, where I interview a former 11-year ASP judge about the challenges of judging and really just the challenges of trying to objectively process and experience the act of surfing. So I love it. I loved the conversation and I hope that you will enjoy that episode too. So that's it for this week of Surf Splendor. Thanks again for the past year of listenership. We look forward to the next year of listenership and producing shows. This is your host, David Scales, saying until Monday, ciao. God knows where we're headed. Oh, baby. And maybe one of Harlem, they don't understand. There is a maybe one of Harlem, but they don't
Everybody thinks we're wrong. A mother, who are they to judge us? A mother, mother, simply call me sweet, wear our hair long.